Our reading is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all, and behold, there were many in the open valley, and, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Please be seated. I hope it is that you have gotten one of these pieces of paper. You and I will be looking at the book of Ezekiel quickly this evening as we look at that scarlet thread that God has weaved through the Bible. And as you're making your way over to, we're going to spend the majority of our time in Ezekiel chapter 37. And that would be on page 863 if you have a Bible like this. As you're making your way over there, let me remind you of a couple of things you may or may not know. So Emma is taking a flight right now and the first time in her life all alone. So uh, she'll come back on Tuesday. So pray for her that she, that she actually makes it to where she's supposed to be going and back. I told her to make sure that she used the phrase, this is my first time flying a lot so that they would usher her to where they need to be. So keep her in your prayers. And I'll be flying out to North Carolina Saturday hold a gospel meeting flying back on Thursday. So with that in mind, keep Miss Brandy and the girls in your prayers because uh, one quarter of us will be missing, and uh, that's never a great thing. But that's where we find ourselves. So as we look at the book of Ezekiel and we look at those, uh, that scarlet thread that runs through there, the key word in, in the book, if you have to assign one, is glory. And probably my favorite verse out of all of the book is Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, and so that's why I chose it to be the key. It is the fact that the soul that sinneth, Ezekiel 18, 20, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. What an interesting idea in a, in a world of denominationalism that says you're born with sin, and God says, no, you ain't. And so, the key phrase is, they shall know I am God. That happens about 66 times in this book. And the glory of God appears about 14 times, and that's just the first 11 chapters. The key chapter is 37. We're going to look at that this evening. Uh, the message of this book is one of divine mercy and, and justice. God calls the nation to repentance as Babylonian captivity is pressing down on them. And I think, I think it is the fact, according to verse number 3 of the first chapter, I think it is the fact that Ezekiel wrote this book. But if he didn't, I don't know if that's going to cost any of us our salvation. Uh, his name means God strengthens. He was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, the second taking away. He's only about 25 years old. And so he was commissioned to be a prophet and worked in Babylon after that for another 20 years. His writing out of most of the prophets is, is the most futuristic. And it might be, I, I'm not sure I step out of bounds to say this. Ezekiel might be the weirdest book in the Old Testament. 
just by the things that happen. And we'll, as we're making our way to chapter 37, we'll look at some of those odd things that have happened. Jeremiah is the great preacher of our time. Then Ezekiel would have been the greatest artist of his time. He, he pictures, Harry paints a very picture. That's from Frank Dunn from Know Your Bible. By the way, if you don't have the book Know Your Bible by Frank Dunn, you need to get it. Uh, this book confuses people due to, to truth and due to some code in there. And so as we begin to unfold at least a little bit of the book of Ezekiel, how many of you are old enough to remember sheet charts? Y'all remember when they put the little bed sheet? Did y'all not, not ever have that out here? They would put a, a full-size or a king-size bed sheet up, and they would have drawn on it. It's an old-school, thank you, it's an old-school PowerPoint. It didn't, you know, you didn't click on it. You just took your little pointer and pointed to different portions of that particular sheet. I, I was amazed when I saw those. They, that, was the, that was the greatest thing ever because I could see what's going on. I, I understood what was going on better, and so as I'm looking at those, I think automatically of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I want you to lay on your right side for six months. What in the world? Okay, six months is over. Now I want you to flip over and lay on your left side. For what? That doesn't make any sense. Ezekiel, I want you uh, to, to shout at people when they come by that, that God's disappointed in them. What? Ezekiel, I'm going to show you something here in chapter number one. It's going to blow your mind. And you're not even going to really be able to describe it. Ezekiel, I'm going to call you the son of man because you are a typical man. Everything that would, uh, would, would tempt or everything that would draw back or everything that would hurt the typical man, that, that absolutely falls on the case of Ezekiel. Interestingly, that title, Son of Man, is also given to Jesus the Christ. Everything that would have tempted us, everything that we would have longed for, food, or water, those kinds of things, so did Jesus. Ezekiel is one of the most odd books because God is trying to get the attention of a people who won't give him the attention, and because of that, you have chapter 3, 17 through 21. The key to this book, I think, is chapter 3, 17 to 21. And by the way, you can write this one down. The key to gospel preaching is found in Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21. Ezekiel, son of man, I have set you to be a watchman over Israel. Now, here is your job. Ezekiel, your job is education. You tell them. And if they don't respond, then punishment will be given to them. However, Ezekiel, if when I tell you to make sure that you tell them and you don't, then that's going to fall on your head. The interesting idea, even with gospel preaching, is this. I cannot make you do one thing. You know what? And if I'm real honest about it, I can't make really but one person on earth do anything. 
I can't make the girls I live with do anything. Ezekiel, your job's to tell them. If they change, good. If they don't, then that's their choice. But if they don't change because they don't know, then you and I are going to have problems. You and I are going to have to talk about this. And so as this book unfolds, we find ourselves in chapter 37. Now, if you're looking at your Bible or if you recall uh, just a few moments ago what Michael read for us, you're going to notice that in chapter uh, 37, verse number 1, Ezekiel's in a trance, in some sort of uh, dream paradigm. Why? Because God has taken him to this place while he's in the Spirit. He's being uh, spoken to by God. He's in some sort of uh, trance state, and God takes him to this place and then sort of flies him around this valley. Now look how this, how this begins. He's in this valley, and I picture him kind of elevated, looking over the valley first. I don't know if that's the case or not. And God says, son of man, you think I can make these bones live? We hear that question a lot. Even in our world, maybe not the exact same phraseology, but is there something that God cannot do? Have you ever heard the question, can God make a rock so big you can't pick it up? Does God, does God know everything, or is there something He's chosen not to know? All those kind of crazy things. It's the same question God's asking. Ezekiel, what do you think my limits are? Church, let me ask you something. When a man or a woman goes down into the baptistry right there, in order to be baptized for the remission of their sins, exactly how is it that they access the blood of Christ? It's just water. Matter of fact, it filters in and out there. So it's probably not the same water it was last week. It's obviously not the same water it was when it was built. How do they do that? Ladies and gentlemen, we look at that sometimes and we say that that's a, that's the, uh, a job of God, isn't it? He, he, they, they access it by doing what he says. Now that's sort of the same way Ezekiel answers this. I don't know, if you, if you want to, you can. If you want to. If God wants to, he can turn this bag of bones, this valley of bones into, into an army. He's asking Ezekiel how much power do you think I have? Ezekiel's privy to the same Torah, the same Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that you are. How many of you believe that God created the earth in six days? The rest of you just scared to raise your hand. That's all right. It's okay. I would firmly say that, that Ezekiel believed that too. But now he's asked the direct question, how much power does God have? And Ezekiel says, I ain't real sure. <laughs> if he has the power to create, doesn't he have the power to recreate? Yeah. If not, how are you going to be saved? So as they're looking at this valley, 
Ezekiel says, well, you know. And so they begin to sort of float, I see in my mind, or fly over or walk through just a pile of old, dried up bones. One time when I was a little boy, I was running through some pasture land at my grandfather's house and he had some cattle that ran out there from time to time. And I don't know if you know this about cattle, uh, but eventually, they don't live forever. Eventually they'll die. Even if you don't kill them, they'll just die of old age. And I don't know if you know this either. It's hard to bury a cow. That's a, that's a lot of animal. So he would just sort of drag them off into this uh, hollow down beside his house, and there they would uh, go through the decomposition process that the Lord has provided for us. Just so happened on this particular day, I was going through that hollow, and I came across those bones, and they scared me. And they were just as dry as they could be. They, they were as dry as the Sahara. There wasn't, there wasn't a, an ounce of life in them. There wasn't anything that they were going to do. But I saw those bones and I got scared. What if? He's seeing those same kind of bones. They're completely sun-bleached and dried up and, and don't have any kind of life in them. And I think going through Ezekiel's mind is probably this. You might can do it, but I don't know how. Maybe it's possible. And so he said, I'm going to show you something because I want you to know that I am the Lord. Stop right there. Does Ezekiel not know this? Does he not know that, that God is who he said he was? Does, does Ezekiel the prophet not know that, that God expects what he expects? Sure. Every once in a while, we also need our faith strengthened a little bit, don't we? Ezekiel, I'm going to show you something right here that I'm not going to show to most everybody else. Why don't you take a look at this? And those old, dried-up, hard bones slide together. You know what you have? Skeletons. Which is pretty good, even if that's all that happens. But as they begin to slide together, then the tendons begin to reappear on these skeletons. And then... And then the muscle structure begins to reappear on these skeletons. And then the flesh begins to reappear. And you know what you have? You have a valley of corpses. Is all you have. You have perfectly dead soldiers. That's an interesting... Uh, part of his power to see him put those bones together and recreate those tendons there and put that muscle structure back on them and put that flesh on him. But out of all the miracles I can read about in the Bible, if that one stops there, it's not very impressive. You brought bones back to dead people. They were dead when you started. Look at verse number 5. 
Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. You got a pencil and paper? Write this down. Two other times. Two other times within the Bible that this phraseology is mentioned. You ready? Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verse number 7. And I breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. It's the breath of God. It's, it's not just any kind of breath. He's not just breathing on him. He's giving him the, the gift of life. He's breathing that, that ability to live back into him. And the other one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by the, here's the word, inspiration. That is God breathed. Inspiration, to breathe into. God is breathing into this word, life. I had a friend of mine ask me last night as I was texting with him, do you ever write a sermon for anybody in particular? And I said, no. Well, if it hits you, maybe you should do something with it. I... For all of you who told me over the past, last week and this week, that those were fantastic sermons, I appreciate that. And you have probably gotten the same answer from me. I just read what it said. I, I don't have people in mind when I make up a sermon, when I, when I construct that particular sermon. However, if it hits you, maybe you ought to stop and think about it for a minute. Once I had a guy say, uh, you stepped on my toes. I said, I'm sorry. It's aiming for your heart. And that's, you know, that's, that's where it really ends up. I'm going to breathe into these bones the, the breath of life, the same life that I gave Adam, and the same life that I give my word to impact people and to do things and to carry out my will. And now let's see how it happens. So these bones slide together. All of the, the tendons and muscles and flesh come on them. He breathes on them. And they stand up. When he breathed on, the difference between when he didn't breathe and when he did breathe is a, is a valley full of corpses versus an army that's standing up and ready to fight. What if you're there? What if you find yourself standing in this particular valley, watching all of these things happen? How do you ever turn back and say, yeah, but... How do you ever turn and look at God in, a, in, a, in another way? I don't think I know. Maybe you and I look at this, and we say to ourselves, if I could see that, it would make all the difference in the world. 
Would it? Would it make all the difference in the world if you could see that valley and, and those people be brought back to life? Is it not enough to read about the miracles God has performed from eternity until those miracles ceased? Well, if I could see one, though, but if I could, if I could see one, it would, it would definitely change. Ladies and gentlemen, I have great news for you. You, whether dead or alive, when Jesus returns, will see one. You're going to see one. You're going to see the, the, uh, the atmosphere split and the Lord come back and Him empty every grave and begin to divide the sheep from the goat. You're going to see that. But are you ready to see it? Did you know that's where every sermon really ends? Are you ready to see it? You will be guaranteed to see one miracle. Are you ready? I'm not sure Ezekiel was altogether ready to see that one. But he saw it. From that point in time, God sent him on further on in his mission. The one that you will see will stop time. There'll be no more sending on. There'll be no more mission left. The last miracle that has been waiting for us is the end of time and the judgment of man. So, you ready to see it? Now, sitting in your seat right where you are, knowing the life that you live, you exclusively, you in your own body, know exactly the answer to the question. Are you ready? As a matter of fact, you sitting in the place where you are and knowing exactly everything about your life, you can probably tell me the next thing I'm going to say. If you're not, you need to be ready. You know, I'm going to say that you need to hear what God has to say. You know that I'm going to say that you need to believe those things. And you know I'm going to tell you that the Bible will tell you to repent. I'm going to tell you that the Bible will tell you to confess Jesus as the Christ. You know that I'm going to tell you to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. That doesn't mean you did it. And without doing that, I'm going to put this as Alabama as I possibly can. Are you ready? Without doing that, you ain't ready. You're not prepared to see him. It could be. You, you could be, and, it, and it's, it's up to your decision. All I can do is tell you what it says, show you what it says, and ask you, have you done it? You're going to have to either decide to do it or not to do it. And if you haven't decided yet, that's a decision. You can't stay neutral in this war. You can either be for God or against God. 
Are you ready to see that last miracle? If your answer is no, then put on the blood of Jesus the Christ through baptism and become his child and be ready. Sometimes the answer is no because we've already done that. But we've forgotten about the goodness of God, or the perfect, perfection of the gift of Christ, or the blessing that we have with the being a part of the, the family of God. And I'm going to tell you something else. If that's the case, you're not ready to see that final miracle either. But you could be. You very well could be, and it all depends on how you answer the next question. And the next question is this. Would you come to God tonight while we stand and sing for your encouragement? Jesus is tenderly calling me home.